Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a bonus episode of Popcorn Podcast, and we're discussing Halloween Kills, joined by some very special guests. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies, and this Halloween season we're talking Halloween Kills, which picks up minutes after Laurie Strode, her daughter Karen, and granddaughter Allison left masked killer Michael Myers trapped and burning in Laurie's basement. Rushed to hospital with life-threatening injuries, Laurie believes she has finally killed her lifelong tormentor. Ha! But when Michael frees himself, his ritual blood bath resumes. As Laurie fights for her life, she inspires all of Haddonfield to take matters into their own hands and rise up against the unstoppable monster with the mantra, Evil Dies Tonight. Halloween Kills is directed by David Gordon Green, who did the first one in this iteration, with a screenplay by Gordon Green, Danny McBride and Scott Teams. The film, of course, stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, Andy Matichak, Carl Richards and Anthony Michael Hall. Now, listeners, Popcorn Podcast joined a round table with the creators and stars of Halloween Kills. And throughout this episode, we'll hear from producer Malik Akkad and director David Gordon Green, as well as Kyle Richards and the one, the only, the icon, Jamie Lee Curtis. The horror icon. Just icon in general, I reckon. Oh. Wouldn't you agree? Queen. Yes, queen. Now, Lee, just so just to offer a bit of a recap of sorts mm. uh, on the Halloween franchise, if I may. So it had been director David Gordon Green's dream to helm a trilogy that served as the definitive companion piece to John Carpenter's 1978 masterpiece. So in 2018, we got Halloween 
which was set 40 years after the original, with Laurie Strode still dealing with the trauma of that fateful Halloween night and Michael Myers, he escaped prison and Mm -hmm. continued his murderous rampage. So the plan for two subsequent sequels, Halloween Kills, which we're about to talk about, and next year's, 2022's Halloween Ends, all rely on the 1978 film and no subsequent sequels as source material, Mm. with all three films very uniquely taking place on the same Halloween night. All three of them take place on the same night. I didn't realise that. Yeah, yeah. That is the premise behind all of these, and that is explored quite deeply in this Mm. sequel, which we'll get into. So as you mentioned, it picks up immediately where Halloween 2018 left off. It's complete chaos. Laurie's house is burning. She's being rushed to hospital. The town is unaware that Michael has escaped and is on the rampage again. Unfortunately, that chaos bleeds into the story and script. Would you agree? Oh, I totally agree, Lee. I'm glad that we're starting there because I also found the story to be quite convoluted. Mm. And whether this is true of your experience, but I, I think it tries to be too clever It tries to bring in too many layers, too many subplots and leaves the film ultimately overstuffed. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you in part. I think the concept at the core of it that, you know, it's opening the lens to the wider Haddonfield community and their experience Mm. of Michael Myers. I think that concept is actually quite clever, but it's tonally a mess so it doesn't know where it wants to focus there's time jumps in there that are a tad confusing it goes back in time to the original film which Mm. I actually really liked as well but it took me a minute to kind of realize that's where we were yeah because aesthetically which we'll get into later the film had a very similar feel yeah so it jumping back in time and in the current day it aesthetically was very consistent but that added to a little bit of tonal confusion because it all felt like it was set in the 1970s and just to add to your point about the mob mentality I thought it was a great premise yeah but it only adds to that chaos of the film that leaves you spinning and wondering what the hell Mm. is going on half the time right yeah but that premise at the expense of the relationship they'd been building in the first film that whole focus Mm. on Laurie and Michael Myers and their relationship and them being at the centre of this, you know, this nemesis relationship, if you will, at the centre of everything. They'd spent so long in the first film building that up. It was really strong and then it just got sidelined in this movie. It didn't need to be completely sidelined, I thought. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, they're they're going against the, I guess, horror convention or the tropes of this particular franchise, which is... Laurie Strode versus Mm. Michael Myers. And it brings in a whole other characters, set of characters in here that in principle sound really exciting and compelling and interesting, but ultimately adds to a bit of a hot mess of a film. And for a film that's built so heavily on that premise that it's all about bringing Mm. the legacy characters back and opening it up to the wider town, it kicks it off in a really throwaway manner. Yeah, how do you mean? Explain. Well, a lot of things continue in that manner throughout the film. You know, big moments are unearned, I felt. Mm. So there's these great moments with the legacy characters. I can't go into too much detail, but there's real opportunities to let them have their moments. But I feel like they were cheated out of those moments in terms of the story structure. What I want to build on something that you mentioned before, Lee, was that mm. we we flash back to 1978 mm. quite a lot. 
which is the timeline of when Halloween was released, when it's set, that original film, John Carpenter's classic. Mm. And again, just like leaning into the mob mentality of Haddonfield, I thought that was a clever idea in principle. But it brings me back to the point that I made earlier, which is they're trying to tell a story that all takes place on the same Halloween night across Mm -hmm. three films, which is quite a feat. And you must maintain that momentum. You must maintain that pace. Mm. And the constant flashbacks that this film lent into impacted that strategy, I think. It was a bit of a distraction. Really? I don't think so. I enjoyed the flashbacks and pulling at those threads from the original film. It felt like a nice way to tie it in. Yeah, I guess because they they worked really hard to try and identify characters, story arcs and moments that happened in the 78 Mm. and bring it into the modern day to give it some gravitas, to give it some Mm. purpose within this new story. For for me personally, I just think it was a little light on in its ability to nail that so much so. A bit undercooked, you think? A bit undercooked, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you mentioned that David Gordon Green is a huge fan of this franchise. He knows what fans want to see. And you've also got Jason Blum on board as a producer. So there's some real pedigree here behind it. But I guess they aren't sure on the tone. Maybe that's what it is. Do you think it comes down to the tone? It bordered on farcical sometimes. I thought. Farcical, yeah. Do you know what I think that comes down to, though? Mm. The dialogue. The dialogue is is very poorly written. Oh, yeah. And the centrepiece of this film, everything that they hang the marketing on, evil dies tonight, he dies tonight, well, that line in the film was actually a throwaway line. Did you even notice where it was? Uh, I couldn't recall, no. No, yeah, so a legacy character practically whispered it in the bar. Oh. He dies tonight. And it, I was like, hang on, what? Did she just say the catchphrase? <laughs> The tagline. <laughs> you say the tagline to the whole film? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a problem when the whole marketing campaign is built around a line of dialogue that is just a throwaway in the film. And just to build on the tone, comedy mm. is a huge part of horror, right? It, it's, it, it's inherent with it. And I remember laughing quite a bit in the 2018 Halloween film. But in this film, their attempts to inject laughs amongst the gruesome kills fall short. What did you think? Would you say comedy is part of horror? Is it more that it's the shock value? It's not comedy ha-ha, is it? It's more like, oh, yeah, oh, my God, look at that kill. Yes. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think you've, you've <laughs> cap- encapsulated it. It's not comedy ha-ha. Like, there's no Seth Rogen in this movie. Um, but it's kind of like you squirm and if you don't laugh, you cry sort Mm. of situation, which is what horror really leans into. But this film I found quite cringe and I really struggled to lean Mm. into those sorts of tension breaker moments that the screenwriters tried to inject here. Well, it's an incredibly successful franchise. It took in a respectable 50 million US dollars at the box office on the opening weekend in the US and that's on a budget of $20 million. So it's it's done really well out of the bat. People want to see this film. Mm. Do you think we're being a bit picky? No. I mean, look, I just think that horror is a really fun genre. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun genre. It's got an enormous following. And clearly this franchise still has an enormous following and that's okay. But our job as critics to have this conversation is to kind of, you know, discuss what we what we took out of it and that's okay like maybe it's not a film it doesn't sound like it's a film that we really enjoyed so much but there's a lot that we can appreciate and also respect the fan base who clearly 
went in droves in the US at least to kind of catch the opening weekend. Well, I think it just fell down a little bit on middle child syndrome. You know, it's it's the forgettable one in the middle that's setting up the next one but can never live up to the success of the first yeah. film. But maybe this is a good opportunity to hear from director David Gordon Green and producer Malik Akkad about how Halloween kills both honours the legacy and progresses the narrative of this iconic franchise while aiming to be bigger, bolder and deadlier. Somebody in there? Michael Myers is alive. The effort is to honour the legacy in terms of this, in terms of Halloween Kills, we do recreations of the 1978 Michael Myers house and some of the, the sequences within that that we elaborate upon. And then we bring legacy characters like Kyle Richards and characters like Tommy Doyle and, and Nurse Marion and have appearances that integrate into this film to be able to, to expand on the concept of terror, the concept of fear. So it's it's not necessarily just a good versus evil, Laurie versus Michael uh, butting of heads here, but it's it's how fear and terror permeates the entire community of Haddonfield. And so we reached into the legacy characters to expand on that and uh, create a, a fully realized community. We've sort of always tried somewhat to be the, to not go into the gratuitous gore. Certainly we've crossed that line in the past and those are, you know, different creative discussions, but I think um, we've kept that line somewhat respected, and and but I think there's an inherent tension in David's film, the two of them. There's inherent tension. There's an inherent dread that you don't need to rely on that gore as much, but you do need that sort of heightened the action, the intensity, and so there is. It's a mixture of both, and I think in the hands of a deaf director like uh, David Gordon Green, uh, you know, it's it's achievable and. Um, I think he's done a great job of doing that. What do we do? We fight. So visually, Tim, visually this has everything you want from a horror flick that helped set the gold standard for slashes. I really found it was beautifully filmed. If you can say that about a horror film, it seems wrong to say beautifully filmed. No, well, there's a common thread. There's a common red thread on this podcast, Lee, with you that blood splatter is something you find really beautiful. And I'm with you on that. <laughs> no. Well, I mean. Not always, not always. When it's really stylized. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, you know, I think what it was a really unique aesthetic, an atmospheric aesthetic that this film delivered was the whole film takes place at night. Yeah. And the production endured endless night shoots for months. And it gave it this really distinct, at least visual tone. And the lighting is so atmospheric. And, you know, the the burning house at the beginning of the film mm. was just unreal. Like the scale of this film is quite large. There's some fantastic set pieces and Michael Simmons's cinematography lingers in all the right places. There are some quality mm. kills in this film and some overkill too. I'm really interested to know from your point of view, the overkill with the stabbing, you know, he's deliberate and he's psychotic but what makes Michael Myers so scary is that he is unstoppable. He's machine-like and he blindly kills without pause. But here in this film, he's doing things like posing the body. Has he ever done that before? What an interesting takeout. Did you notice that? there was? No, I don't think he has. Yes. I guess I did notice that. There was one particular kill that he just kept going and going and then looking at the other person. And I thought, oh... 
he's really, really going to town with this. He's really enjoying it. And I don't know that we've ever seen that before. Okay, so I'm just talking off the cuff here. I'm thinking about the timeline that this film takes place in. Mm. Michael Myers had been in prison for 40 years. True. This franchise takes place over one night. These three films, one night. Maybe he's just finding this new momentum, this new drive, this new evil that kind of puts him in this trajectory of doing things that we've never seen him do before. Ooh, yeah, what do you reckon about that? We're diving deep into the criminal mind. Yeah, the psychology of Michael Myers. <laughs> but look, all I really have to say about this is, is there blood? Is there gore? Is this a bloody and gory film? Yes, fuck yes, it is. And I think that's what the fan boys and girls and and those out there really want. Does it push the boundaries? Heck yeah. But it was kind of a bit of fun, I suppose. Yeah. And what is it that makes Michael Myers so scary? I think this might just be the perfect time to hear from Jamie Lee Curtis on that subject and she can share what she thinks makes Michael Myers such a terrifying monster. For me, Michael Myers represents a question, really, of what is really evil? What, what is it? By making his mask white, I think John and Deborah back in the day created an idea that you could place on that mask your own idea of what is scary. That because he makes no expression, you put your fear expression on his face. You're like, you project into him. And I think that's really interesting uh, because it makes you question what is evil, what is scary, because he's a human being in a white mask. But there's something otherworldly about it. Evil dies tonight. I just love hearing Jamie Lee Curtis talk. You, mm. you can clearly tell how passionate she is about this franchise, about her character. And she knows Michael Myers so intimately. You only need to hear from one person and it's Jamie mm. Lee Curtis. You could argue there's no Halloween without Jamie Lee Curtis, but you could also argue there's no Halloween without Michael Myers. 100%. So when you put them together, there's your Halloween. The yin and yang of Halloween. <laughs> now, Lee, let's jump into the decision that the filmmakers made about bringing back the original cast or a few mm. of the original cast from the 1978 mm. Film. I think it was a great decision to bring back some of those cast members and characters. So some cast are playing characters, legacy characters, but they weren't in the original film like Anthony Michael Hall. Mm. So there's a real opportunity, as I said, to let these people have their moment. And as I've already covered, I feel like they were cheated out of those moments in terms of their interaction in the film. I wish there was a better focus and plot structure around this concept. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think the decision that they made here is both one of the best and worst that the film makes. Look, we love nostalgia in films. Yeah. That much is clear in popular culture these days. How many reboots, remakes oh, yeah. are there? Goodness gracious. And I'm here for it. But I agree this didn't quite work for me. And I think... The intent is admirable. They wanted to tap into the world of Haddonfield outside of just the Laurie versus Michael Myers story mm. arc, didn't they, as we've referenced before, to have the town, I guess, feel more lived in and develop its own significance and wait to the franchise to explore some untapped characters and find ways to keep people involved in the town story. But it was very 
ham-fisted in there and didn't quite do it justice. Talking about ham-fisted, how many people do they want to shove into a stairwell? There's a disproportionate (laughs) amount of time spent on a large group running up and down the stairs in a hospital. It went on forever. I think this film could be encapsulated with one word, stressful. It is very stressful. There's a lot of stress. I was stressed. It's chaos. <laughs> stick to the left. That's all I'll say. I hate those walkers who walk in front of you and don't stick to the left. I'm one to whisper in your ear yeah. as you walk by. But anyway, we're not getting into the, that. The chaos just went to the next level in that third act. But anyway, let's hear from Kyle Richards, who is actually returning. She was one of the children that was being babysat on the night of Halloween back in the 1978, wasn't she? Yeah. And now she's a, a real housewife, I believe. And an actress. Yeah, Beverly Hills. Yeah. yeah. So Kyle Richards shared what it was like reuniting with the other legacy characters from the original movie. Let's take a listen. If you track Michael's victim, that's a straight line to Michael's childhood home. Oh, it was just a wonderful reunion. And, you know, to work with them as a child is so different than working them with them as an adult. And um, I just have so much more of an appreciation for the film and for the actors and, you know, just being able to have this experience of working together all these years later. So um, it was really incredible. And I, I was so at first disappointed about it being pushed back for one year because of COVID, but it was such a great choice. And now the fact that we can, you know, experience us going into a theater and having that experience of, you know, sharing those, those fears with the audience and, it's just so exciting that we can see it in the theaters again. So I'm very happy about that. I'm coming for you, Michael. All right, let's jump into the performances, Tim. Okay, Jamie Lee Curtis, Queen, mm. goes without saying. Yeah. But we haven't really discussed this because I'm not sure if it's spoiler territory, but she was given too little to do in this film. Look, I, I don't think it's spoiler territory. We, we can dance around that, but I've got a few headlines here that will back you up. Okay. Jamie Lee Curtis doesn't show up in this film until the 20-minute mark, and then another 20 minutes passes before she shows up again. I've got to stop you there because that's not entirely accurate. Isn't it? The movie opens with her being rushed to hospital and screaming at the fire engines. Oh, oh, details. Let it burn! Let it burn! <laughs> Yes, you are right. You are right. But anything of substance, let me just rephrase Mm. that, co-host, anything of substance that she shows up is 20 minutes Mm. in and then 20 minutes later. And that's a problem when they've set up this whole trilogy around the dichotomy of Laurie versus Michael Mm. to completely sideline her in a second movie. And at one point she even stabs herself with morphine but still can't rally into the film. And But I'm kind of glad of that though because it would have been unrealistic if, you know, she's – suffering from life-threatening injuries and then all of a sudden heads off to save the day. I'm sorry. I've got to stop you there, but I love how you throw in the word realistic and realism when we're talking the <laughs> Halloween franchise all right, and all right. how Michael Myers is still not dead. And you're like, well, I'm glad that she just, you know, under- yeah. listened to her body and didn't want to get into the action. <laughs> she took some time for herself to heal. <laughs> Yeah, self-care is the buzzword Mm. of 2020, 2021. So Laurie Strobe was leading into that. But can I just say, Mm. Jamie Lee Curtis, she is still brilliant. She is still intense. And she clearly has so much passion and dedication to this franchise. And 
all the vibes that you received mm. from her character were there and they were palatable and they were impactful. You know who needs to borrow Jamie Lee Curtis's crown for a second is Judy Greer, okay? Oh, yeah, she does. She has to maintain this epic level of grief and terror throughout the whole movie. She's like dialed up to 11 and I love it. Karen has just discovered that her mother isn't crazy. Michael Myers is real. He's coming after her. She's lost her husband. Her mum's fighting for her life and her daughter takes off with a vigilante mob. You know, she's got so much going on and Judy Greer is just bringing it for this whole movie. Yeah, I completely agree. Talk about juggling a handful of emotional balls. Like Judy Greer really brings Mm. it. She absolutely brings it. And she's quite crucial in that sort of setting that emotional tone of this film yep. and understanding the, the impact of everything characters that are dealing with. And gosh, she's dealing with a lot herself. Mm. Just getting off performances for a second. Mm-hmm. In terms of characters and character development, too many of the characters in this film are inconsistent in their motivations. I can't go into too much detail, but whether we're talking about the legacy characters or the main characters – You know, they're flip-flopping all over the place. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I guess that's what you have to deal with. And the filmmakers had to try and juggle and Mm. ultimately didn't quite hit the mark in dealing with that mob mentality, dealing Mm. with a lot of voices, a lot of experiences, a lot of different kinds of trauma Mm. that are just thrown into the mix of this franchise left of centre, although there's value to it and it's admirable. Mm. It's just a lot to take in from an audience perspective and you don't know where to look. You don't know what to focus on. You don't know what to take away. And I think that was ultimately a disservice to this franchise in taking the focus away from Laurie Strode. Yeah. Despite trying something new. So I completely agree. And I want to know your opinion on this. Okay. Mm -hmm. And our listeners opinions, please do share it with us. The award for the stupidest, most stereotypical character names goes to Big John and Little John. <laughs> the gay couple who live in Michael Myers' old house. Big John and Little John. Oh, you beat me to it. Bloody hell. Brilliant. It's kind of brilliant, but also fucking awful all the same. But it's a perfect illustration of getting the tone of this film wrong. Yes, yes. And that brings me back to my point to, to, to support your statement is the comedy. The comedy was just all wrong. Yeah. How they decided to cut the tension cake with comedy, it just fell short and it was just awkward and a little bit stupid. And there we go. Exhibit A, Little John, Big John. (laughs) And they referred to each other as Big John and Little John. Why would you refer to your other? I can understand friends referring to them as that, but why would you refer to your partner as Big John and Little John? (laughs) Come on. I feel like this can be an offshoot episode, a special episode to delve into the psyche, the life lived of Big John and Little John. Yeah. Let's let's do a special episode, Lee. Instead of doing that, let's just wrap up our review of this film, shall we? Okay, I'm on board, Lee. Let's do it. So I liked that Halloween Kills widens the lens and explores the broader impacts of Michael Myers beyond the Laurie versus Michael nemesis angle, although that's what people want to see, so give the people what they want. The concept here has promise, but it wasn't executed as well as it could have been and has resulted in an uneven film that will have you engaged and bored in equal measure. Halloween Kills suffers from middle child syndrome. It can't live up to the success of the first and becomes a tool for setting up the big finale that's to come. 
I'm giving Halloween kills two popcorn kernels. I couldn't agree more, Lee. And to build on that, Halloween kills is messier than the bloody splatter Michael Myers leaves behind with every kill. The lack of Laurie Strode was misleading in its marketing and disappointing in the final product. The absence of a coherent plot causes much confusion and you get lost in it trying to be a sequel, progressing the story further and being a homage film to the 1978 original. I was so looking forward to some mindless fun with this one, but it didn't deliver. And all I can say is add this film to the Michael Myers kill count. I'm going to rate Halloween Kills to Popcorn Kernels as well. There you have it, guys. Halloween Kills is in Australian cinemas from October 28. All right, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.